Hello and welcome to Resident Advisors Exchange, a series of conversations with the artists, labels and promoters who are shaping the electronic music landscape. My name's Ryan Keeling and I'm the editor at Resident Advisor. Like one of his key influences, Laurent Garnier, Sébastien Devaud is an important ambassador for French electronic music. And also like Garnier, he's achieved this position through a number of different means. Devoud cut his DJing teeth in the late 90s during a difficult period for nightlife in France's second city, Lyon, but was later one of a small group who founded Nuit Sonore, a festival that's credited for reviving the city's scene. Eleven years later, and Nuit Sonore is one of Europe's essential festivals. Although he's now moved on, Devoud was also one of the founders of Infine, the famously wide-ranging label that mirrored his own broad approach to DJing and production. The Agoria aesthetic has arguably been best showcased in one of his many standout mix CDs, with previous efforts for Fabric, Balance and At The Controls. So, there's a lot to discuss when it comes to Agoria. But when we sat down with him in London in June, we began by talking about Stefanovic, a largely overlooked Lyon DJ that devoured sites as his main inspiration. spoke to you a couple of years ago um, for a feature, you name-checked a French DJ named uh, Stefanovic. He said he'd had a really big influence on you. Um, and we didn't really delve too deeply into it, so I wondered if we could start by talking about why he was such a big inspiration to you. Uh, Stefanovic, he was like um, one of the three or four French DJs who, who was playing in all uh, parties in France. Uh, so we had like uh, Stefanovic, Jacques de Marseille, Laurent Garnier and maybe Miloš. Those four French DJs were playing everywhere. And Stefanovic, he has a... Um, I remember I spent a night, one of my first night uh, uh, in a club. I think it was like 17 or 18 or... And it was like at uh, Hypnotic. It, it's a, it's, it was in my hometown Lyon. He was playing and I really entered the club. It was like maybe 1 a.m and get out at 5 or 6 a.m. And I have the feeling that maybe I spent like one hour in the club. He has a way to bring the audience to a, a, a point we lose all the, um, the conscious uh, uh, time schedule. I don't know how you say this in English, but you know, like we, we lose all the, the um, we say in French, les, les repères. Um, and so Stefanovic, yes, he was like really the main DJ for me. 
And I remember like I was starting to organize parties and I invited him like uh, many times in all my parties in Lyon. And he was, he saw me as a, as a young kid, like really motivated and he was anyway coming even if <laughs> parties were really shit and bad and it was like maybe 50 people and you know, everywhere I could like, hey, do you want to book Stefanovic with me in the party? And so he was, he was really my hero and the, the French, uh, a French DJ like I really respected. And I, I don't know, then after maybe mm, five, six years after that point, he decided to stop his career, he was bored about this thing, but yeah, he was, he was a really, really magic DJ. How was he able to put people in a trance like you're describing? Exactly, that's the word. Like he oh, was, that okay? <laughs> he was really putting people in trance. I don't know, you know, it, it's for sure something about the, his way of mixing also the bass lines, you know? It was like he, he could... Also, Ricardo Villalobos know how to do this, but just few DJs know how to uh, wait the moment of a record and it's per the perfect time to, to, to come with another record and then not cut at all the groove. And this is something not so easy to do. And like he was able to do this and, and maintain the flow during, your, during hours and hours and, and constantly um, uh, making, making you dance, you know. I don't dance so much. But he was every time the DJ who was making me dance. How would you describe his sound? Oh, that time, I mean, it was like, because uh, we were in 90, maybe 93, 94. <laughs> so I don't know really what, I would say um, uh, Detroit techno. Or it was really more like Detroit or Chicago techno. Did you have international DJs that were influencing you at that time? Yeah, Jeff Mills for sure. Jeff Mills was like, uh, he's the first DJ I saw making things really creatively before all the uh, computers and stuff arrived. So he was the first one making with like free turntables, um, TL-909, FX, and his way of mixing was totally different. I was speaking about Stefanovic who was like mixing tracks really in a long, in, an, in, <coughs> in a long process waiting the moment and finding the right balance every time. And Jeff Mitz was the opposite, actually. He was mixing very fast records. But it doesn't matter if it was perfectly... Um, uh, like synced. Yeah, yeah, synced. It was, always in, it was always in the right, uh, uh, in the right move. And it was always also with his own feeling. I mean, it, when he plays, he's like an animal like a lion or a tiger or puma. He has his own way of, of, uh, of moving and of playing the records very fast with his fingers. Like, it's a pleasure to see, to see him mixing. I, was, I didn't wear glasses at that time, but I was a little guy, like watching him, like every single um, move of his, of his hand and of his body, uh, how he was mixing. And I was really impressed, like how he could play like three records, just getting the high and the medium, and then suddenly he put like a new uh, 909 thing on it and it was perfect. It has like perfect energy. So Detroit Techno, would you say that this was kind of the sound of Leon in the early 90s? If I am really honest, because we have to be honest today. <laughs> <laughs> if I'm really honest, I think the first records I bought were really shit. It was like very, uh, it was trance music. Like it was Frankfurt Beat Records or this kind of thing, like Cosmic Baby maybe, or this kind of really melodic stuff, like, uh, but kind of cheesy. And um, 
I didn't know what was playing Jeff Mills and Stefanovic. It was like really something new. And it, it, so I really didn't know what was the record. And, I, and we couldn't really see who was the artist, so much white labels. And, and so I was not really at that time so much like influenced by Detroit techno. It's just six months or one year after that I started to buy records. And, and the record shop also have been really important in my, in my um, uh, building because like uh, uh, I bought this trance record because also the guys at the record shop show me arriving oh he's a new kid arriving so let's what are the records that we we couldn't sell this week so let, let pass him to 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 Seb and let's pass the record to Seb and let's see if he could buy this one you know for during few months I mean every new single customer in the record shop buy always shit records before the the guy who starts to to believe in you and step by step put one or two good records because it was difficult to find music and so if you have like only five records of i don't know of the new axis or the new purpose maker um, then it was for the good djs of um, the city of leon at that time and so i was always <laughs> having the bad the bad records and then months and months after that i had to understand what time the guys from UPS or DHL arrived. And so when I was waiting, the guy, I was asking the guy from the shop, like, is there, uh, uh, the Detroit records, are they arriving on Tuesday or, or, or Thursday this week? And so I was here at 11 before the, the record shop opened. And so opening the, the box with the records. Yeah. And so uh, and then I had the chance to finally buy a few records uh, that, I, that I liked. <laughs> But before this, I was just buying records because I wanted to practice at home. And so it was like uh, what I could have. But uh, this, this was also a good moment. I mean, to, to know what I, to, to be really educated to good music. Were you one of many kids in your town who were into this style and were checking Detroit things? I think kind of a lot, yes. Yeah. Really, I think we were a lot. And it was um, five or six record shop. And uh, I was going to a record shop named Independence Record a lot and spending all my money. Like uh, uh, that was not, I, had, I wasn't so rich. So all what I get, I was spending in, in the shop. And I remember the guys were like, the, the, guy, the sellers of the record shop like were buying me food <laughs> and me there because they were thinking, oh shit. So they buy me a hamburger or something like for me to eat something during the day. But like... Um, yeah, it was a really good moment that time. But so many people were buying um, techno records and house records. Were you able to gain any success as a DJ at this time? No, no. And for me, it was I was just passionate. Yeah, I, uh, I find something new and uh, something that when I was a kid, I was really making a lot of tapes and listening to radio. I find that I found like two or three um, associative radio was spinning electronic music, and so I was doing tapes and I was selling my tapes um, uh, at school to get money to buy records and then do new tapes. And so it was like this kind of process. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, I started to, to buy records, but the radio thing in the, and, um, and the record shop has been important. I was playing few after parties Okay. because I was like going and like uh, I was speaking with the promoters that you meet in the record shop, that you met in the record shop. And so it was really the meeting point for everybody. And so um, 
after a few times they they saw me in the record shop say hey what are you playing blah 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 can you give me a tape mm. to see what you're doing and so i was giving them tape my tapes were really not good because i had only a techniques at that time with a turntable that i couldn't change the the um, the pitch the pitch yeah, yeah, yeah. so it was like so so one one record <laughs> good and the other was not so good uh and so i mean synchronizing and and so like yes then i, I was giving tapes and they, they inv started inviting me to to playing after parties but it was not so easy because i was playing always between eight and ten but one time i think on 10 times maybe i did play just two times because all the others I, it happens the party has been stopped by the police or cancelled or it was not any more people or so i didn't play so much so um so around that time um you kind of mentioned in the past that lots of the parties had kind of an illegal slant to them uh, why was it necessary was there no infrastructure in place for but with no clubs that these events could be staged in in i think lyon was really the um, the place where all the party were cancelled i don't know what was the main reason if it was a lobby from all the clubs um the usual clubs with bad music or if it was like i don't know mystical reason but all the parties were cancelled and it was impossible to organize things so of course they were all illegal and the first club i, I went to listen to stefanovic maybe this club has been open like for four or five months and then it has been uh, closed also. So everything was like really tough to organize. I remember like it was a big, big rave parties, party who should have been organized in La Altonie Garnier, which is 15,000 people capacity. And uh, it has been not cancelled because it was like a main producer from Paris who organized Johnny Hallyday, this kind of, uh, of pop stars like a uh, uh, concert show. And this party has been cancelled, not cancelled, but they said you can open only till one. So if you open at 11 and, and it's closed at, at one, then for sure they had to cancel it. So I don't know the reason why it was so difficult to organize things, but that's why it was like this game with info lines and, and hidden place to organize parties. And it was this, it was a game, really tough one. All my friends who were promoting parties then after a while losing so much money, decided to stop. Okay. But also it was part of the excitation. And for me, I guess it was also like one of the reasons I've been fighting and doing so many things years and then start to uh, create Nusenor Festival. It's also because of this, because um, I wanted to make something happen and to build something. So it was tough for the promoters, but was this leading to a, a good experience for people who were going to the parties? It really depended on the parties. Yeah. Some were amazing, with a promoter find an amazing spot, and some were like uh, just in the forest, in a bad location, and uh, with no security at all, and I don't know, something bad could have happened. And I recently thought about like, also reason why the, the politics in France were like, um, really afraid about techno movement, because it was like, a, just with an info line and a sheet of paper, um, maybe five or six thousand people who could go to a, to a party without any security. And when I saw what happened to the Love Parade like two or three years ago, yeah. when they moved it from Berlin, I said, okay, maybe also it was like a hidden reason why they tried to to maybe come to make this party not happening. But um, I mean, 
for that time, we never had any problem. Nothing, nothing happened. On, no, you mean no, there was no security problems. No. I mean, it could, but like ne nothing happened. Then. Yeah, sure. Uh, was it more of a widespread issue in France? Was this um, kind of a, an angle that most local governments were taking? Was it difficult to put on parties all over the country? Yeah, it was everywhere. <laughs> but Lyon was the worst, I think. Because you got arrested a couple of times, didn't yeah, you? Yeah, I've got been arrested like two or three times. But after three times, they stopped to arrest me. <laughs> because I was always saying the same thing. You know, I'm just playing in the after, in, like from six to ten. And, and I was just a DJ. I'm sorry, if, I don't know the promoter. I'm sorry if you can't find him. I mean, he, he must have left a couple of hours ago. Yeah, I mean, my parents have been kind of annoyed <laughs> sometimes when you're 18 and go back at uh, 2 p.m. because you have been arrested. <laughs> it's like, hey, what were you doing uh, till 2 p.m. today? Like, oh, no, nothing. I went uh, and then um, one day they, 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 they find a, a paper with my things uh, uh, from the police. Say, what is this thing? Like, uh, oh, no, it's just like a party I did. And they, uh, they, they arrived and they asked me a few questions, but nothing really wrong. So were you able to kind of establish yourself as a DJ and producer under these circumstances? Well, I started to make music really a long time after that, I think. I didn't want to make music. I wanted to work in a record shop. When I say it has been really something important for me, it, it was like, uh, <clears throat> I remember like knocking the door of all these little shops saying, hey, do you have a, a little like a job for me for like uh, maybe six months or... And they all say, no, no, sorry. Uh, it's, um, and one time, like a, a guy who then become a very good friend of mine, he said, you should more do music than, than working in a record shop. It's much more like what could be good for you. I mean, uh, they knew that um, I was surrounded by music people. And so they say, you should, you should go forward. And you mean it would music. be good for your DJ career to, to produce Not music? Not really career, but just for me. I mean, oh, they, okay. they were seeing already that, okay, it's, it's good to work in a record shop, but there is so much more that you could do. And for me, it was everything. Go, finding the music, uh, listening to the music, and then uh, sharing it with people and defending good, good music. It was something that I really wanted to do. And so that's why I wanted to, to be working in a record shop. But then after like, uh, maybe I was like uh, almost four, 24, 25, then I started to make music. Okay. Also, I, I, was, I was not really into computers and technical things. Did you start out on a computer? Uh, yes, I started with a computer and then like I had an old lead and um, and like at that time I think it was a emu emu sampler and uh, yeah, that was my basic stuff to make my first record. Yes. So when did things start to change in Lyon? Mm, so it, that that period was like till from ninety four to ninety eight I think ninety nine, and then uh, from. We, we start to, to, to speak with politics a bit. And then we had the chance to make a meeting with the mayor of Lyon, with uh, a friend of mine, Vincent Carry, and an association named Artifarti. And uh, we really tried to convince him to make something in the town for the, for the youth and for the new generation, saying, look, if you uh, make a, a good nightlife in Lyon, then for sure the kids will come more and the universities will be more with uh, foreign people. And it has been, it, it was something, uh, a mayor is still the mayor of Lyon. It was really into the Europe thing. So it was a good aspect to, to show him. And uh, one night we, we decided to bring him to make a little visit of all the bars of La Croix-Rousse, which is like a, uh, a district of Lyon. 
And uh, in all these bars, we organize meetings with artists and labels and promoters and from drum and bass to techno, house, trance, every kind of thing. Mm. And after this night, he said, oh, oh, something happening in Lyon. That's cool. Yes, you're right. We should do something. Mm. And uh, the day after, like we had a meeting with many, many people and he say, OK, I want to work with you guys to make a new festival. And so it helps us to start Nuisenor from that point. So it was maybe in, we are like in, yeah, maybe 2001. Mm. So what did you decide to do? So you've just been given this opportunity to start a festival. Like when you were discussing what this might look and feel like, where, what did you decide? The f first, when he, he said he decided, the, the mayor of Lyon said, okay, we want to do something. It was many people around the table. So maybe 25 people. So some were saying, yeah, we should do a festival with David Guetta, Bob Sinclair, Martin Solveig. Mm. And some others were saying, yeah, let's do a new salsa, rock, tango festival uh, of every music for during one week. And we were like, no, we want to do underground music, electronic music, and, uh, and build something really new for the town. And it was like, a we were like really motivated. <laughs> they, they, they saw this and we, have, we made like many meetings between us to, to, to write. Actually, the festival is still the same now that it was when we wrote it in the kitchen of Vincent Carry together. And like, uh, it became like uh, something important for, the, for us to defend because we all go f come through this period. It was impossible to organize things. So it, us, it gave us the energy to do it. And definitely we said, okay, we want to do something indie and electronic, but just with like underground thing. Because we have been suffering so much for these four years that we really wanted to do it. So what did the first edition look like? How many people did you have? How many stages? It was not so easy also. <laughs> but I mean, I think during six months, we've been all uh, taking uh, anti-depression thing, okay. pills yeah. during the day. Yeah. And uh, then vodka during the night, I guess, uh, <laughs> yeah. because actually it was not also easy with people in, in the town. I mean, because when you start something and then most of all, when you have the help of the, of the city, so for sure you have a lot of jealousy and every, everybody say, but why you not us? And so it, it's also like a fight, not only to make this happen, but with the, um, with every, everybody in town. But we, we, we try to um, uh, motivate everybody and to um, make everybody part of this game mm. and of this festival. So it, ha it, it has taken maybe six months and after this, it has been fine. Okay. And so the first edition, um, I remember that I, I did two sets this first edition. I, start, I did the very first one, the opening set um, and the very last one. But this one was not uh, foreseen. Because it Ronnie size was do, playing the last the last set of the festival, and he has a, a flight I don't know to London, and he decided, okay no I'm sorry I have to stop now the, my set because like uh, I need to take my flight, and we were like but come you can't stop now it's like you still have half hour or one hour more to play, and so then uh, okay so what we do and he was like really no I'm gonna stop, <laughs> oh okay so he, he decided to stop and then and it was in this famous place I was speaking La Tony Garnier this main room of 15,000 people. And it was like uh, maybe 6,000 people that, that, that night. So he, it was not bad, I mean, he, it was good. And he said, no, no, I'm gonna stop. And so I, I did close the festival also because he had to stop, so. Okay. But the festival was, uh, I mean, it, it, it was really similar of what it is now. 
for sure not as much people it was maybe 15,000 people mm. and I think this edition was uh, maybe 90,000 so it's much more of course but it's this it was exactly the same uh, architecture were you trying to attract people from kind of all over Europe was that one of the initial aims of the festival the main thing of the first edition it was to manage to book artists right because when you start an edition and want to attract people um, it's difficult to to say okay come to our festival for not we don't have so much money but then we really want you and for the first edition it's always difficult to book artists so it has been the main thing is to attract uh, relevant artists for the first edition and um how cooperative were the local government with you and um, with the organization and um without without uh, the the city we couldn't have done it definitely because uh, also like one thing of the festival is like changing a lot of locations in the whole town making like a lot of different uh uh, bet on on the street or on the at the swimming pool or we want to, to to we really wanted to to bring the spirit of the rave parties of doing things in insulate we said this mm. insulate places yeah um, to a festival so yeah. without the the city saying okay you can do it we couldn't have done it because I, I think when I visited the festival the most striking aspect of it was the just the level of access that you had to places like being set up in the main square doing parties in the street like in some of the historic buildings even um, if it the, was it was actually it was genuinely shocking it was like wow they're getting away with it here even in the stock exchange of Lyon <laughs> wow <laughs> I mean yeah no I mean we've been really lucky for this and I think Vincent Carry and all the team because me like I've been really important at the beginning to make it happen because they needed a, an artistic caution to to say okay we we can do it uh, Seb is with us and you know he, he can bring a lot of artists to and convince him them to come and play but now nowadays I'm not as much involved as I was at the be, at, the, at the beginning but today really when I want when I see how the festival has changed and how it it became like now the maybe one of the main festival uh, in France and maybe in Europe too it's like I'm really I'm really proud of them actually. Mm. Do you feel like it's changed the city or the city scene and music scene has changed much in the time that Nuit Sonore has been going? When we started, this, the city, the, the scene was dead. I mean, few artists were like doing things, but there were no emulation, no effervescence. It was like really, um, really low. And I think recently... I'm not saying this because I love Lyon and because it's my hometown, but recently the city is really, really fertile and really creative. So many artists that I can mention now, like Cosme is very good house DJ. Every Days is a fantastic new hip hop producer. Um, Spitzer, who are like on the scene for a few for a few years now, and many other like um, CLFT who are doing good techno records. Like I can mention like many, many, many. Um, new new artists and new labels and new promoters like the city is really really good now in a certain point to answer your question yes I yeah. think Nuisonor helped this I think during five six years we were all trying to figure out if it was really uh, helping the creativity and the new generation and we were not so sure 
But today, yes, for definitely. It, also, not only the festival, but the fact that um, now the social networks, internet, and everything help everybody to have a, an access to the culture much easier. And so, definitely, it helped. Yeah, I mean, it, I think I was certainly very impressed and um i came away wondering really what it would be like to to be going out on a just on a week-to-week basis you know and how busy the parties were and that kind of thing so you think it's in a healthy place like week on week you have like good parties every single weekend but like and you can have omas in like for 400 people or kyle Hall or um floating points or like every single artist now are playing during the whole year and um, in like many kind of different places and locations. And the f- new thing that we are like really excited now is that we, we're gonna open a new club. So it's gonna be open in um, end of June, but the real inauguration is gonna be in September. It's, um, it's a rooftop between Le Rhône and La Saône, which is like the confluence of the two rivers. And it's, um, yeah, I'm really excited to open this club. Like it's like Nuit Sonore, Laurent Garnier, me and Fiozos, we, we, we build this club together. So it's, it's a new baby for us. And I think it's exactly what was missing. Because now we have all this scene, all these artists and promoters and labels. We needed like also a place where they can go from Thursday to Sunday and have parties and meet and speak and, and, and develop a new projects together. Mm. And so it's a, because we had clubs, but like really smaller, like, 400 capacity most of them so this one is a bit bigger so it can also give a new excitation so do you feel like you'll be increasingly taking a step back with the stuff you're doing from with uh nuit sonore oh for sure i'm less involved anyway yeah i'm just even with the club i'm I'm just helping the club to to happening yeah and and to to be to be set up but like even if i'm not like day by day on this side you know like Every time they need uh, help or if I have ideas, we are like in connection all the time with Vincent. And so we, we, we speak about many things. And so I'm not working, but anyway, I'm behind like to, okay, open doors. Let's you, you didn't DJ for the first time this year, right? Yeah, for the first time. Yeah, how was that? I loved it, actually, <laughs> you know, to be really sincere, I loved it. But I was not at the festival the whole the whole week, but because I had to move to Milan also. And, and I was on tour also in the States during this week, so it, I couldn't stay the whole week. But it's, it's, I think, for every DJ playing in his hometown, you know, for something like a, a big festival important, and it's, like, really tough because you have all your friends, all the family, all the people that you see all during all the year. They are, in the, they are in front of you in the room. So if you play a bad set... Then you know that when you're going to go to the bakery, they will look at you and... Hmm, not so good this year, not so good. So it's, people say it's most of the time, yeah, but it's nice, it's your city, it's easy. I think it's the opposite. Well, for me, it's really, really more difficult to play in my hometown. So I was like, for the first time, so relaxed. You'd also said to us a couple of years ago that you'd got to a place with your DJing that you were starting to feel as though you were more free than you'd ever been. Um, but what I was interested in was whether it was kind of a, a struggle to get to this place, whether it was, uh, you know, a hard fought thing. I think to, well, maybe I was also a bit like uh, typically French and arrogant when I said I was feeling free because, <laughs> you know, we, I'm not sure if we can really be free one day, but 
um, to get like this sensation sometimes I think it takes time yes because for sure you have to um, make a lot of mistakes and a lot of uh, it, it needs a lot of experience actually to know what could be the good direction and how you can be like totally relaxed when you play for example tonight I play I'm gonna play to plastic people and I'm really happy for this because like um, I never played this place but I heard like it's the kind of of club you can play exactly the music you want from the beginning to the end till the end and uh, for sure you always have to get in concern that people goes out to have fun and to enjoy the night so you can't be like for four hours totally into ambient stuff or playing only a restaurant or, or this kind of music for four hours but you can play some and that's make you free also mm. I mean I always try when I play also for me to make me surprised so you know the way you organize your records before you play it's important and I think when you when you were doing a record case with records you always put your records in a certain way of finding them when exactly you wanted and and or, or not and for example now with I'm not playing any more vinyls but that's another day but but when I organize my keys for example or the the music I have with me it's always I always put records somehow I don't know by luck I put it here or here just like to say okay maybe that could excite me to put this one at that time but even if it's not supposed to match or that's the kind of freedom I like to have like not being always functional because mm. I think then I would be like bored I hate to be too much functional do you put quite a lot of preparation into your DJing? What, what does that process look like? A what? lot, actually. Um, and I think even more now that when I had records, it was not so many preparation vinyls. But now it's really a lot because, um, I don't know, because maybe the fact of uh, not seeing exactly what you have is something difficult. Um, and that's something difficult for me. But I can't play any more vinyls now for many reasons, but I'm also ex really excited about this new thing of of playing and organizing my music differently. And the fact that I can play so many different music in one night that if I have just one or two record box. So it's really like every every time I like, for example, I know like I put like two or three African records for tonight. I don't know if I'm going to play them, but like that I, I couldn't have... I wouldn't have thought about this like five, six years ago with vinyls. And now with this new uh, way of organizing my, my set, yeah, I, I put some, some stuff like this and it's, mm. it's a good game. Has the way that you sourced music also changed very much? You mean how I receive music? Yes, yeah. Yeah, definitely. If I was still receiving records, um, like I mean promotional records, I would definitely play only uh, vinyls too. The thing is now we are a group of, of artists sending a lot of things before and if we want to play those records uh, or those tunes then you have to play with USB keys or, or with CDs or with computers and I had so many difficulties to play vinyls recently that's why I stopped. I still bought a lot of records but now I'm <laughs> forced to record those records. That's really bullshit but I can't play these records anymore because most of the time the sound is too much equalized for digital sources or, or um, it's difficult in festivals, you have so much rumble and so many problems. 
that mm. it's the eternal debate. I think the support is not so much important. And I think now it's I find finally my way to uh, get creative with these digital sources that it took a really long time for me. Beca because of all what we were speaking before, my love for the records, the record shop and all this thing. For me, it has been really tough to say, okay, now goodbye to vinyls. Mm. And I finally find a way to make it creative. Um, I feel like you've um, earned a reputation as being uh, one of the more diverse DJs and your approach and your music selection. Has this always been your approach as a kind of selector DJ? I actually, I really don't know why I'm trying always to to excite me making this kind of thing and match tracks that are not supposed to match together. I don't know. I like this. <laughs> sometimes it works, sometimes not. But when it works, it's magical. It's like really a good present to play diverse thing and, and see it working. Um, like I found in love with a record recently named Benga Benga on Pilot Bridge. And it's like, for me, it's the bomb, this record. And it's, it's a mixture between... Um, Acoustic thing, African voices, uh, typical drum, elect electronic drums, and it's amazing. It, this is all what I like. When you can find a record that you can play and, and match all the all all these influences, I love that. But like, why I'm so diverse? I'm don't, I don't know. It's not like I born one day. Hey, I want to do this, but I'm like excited by this, mm. and um, also because I'm playing really, really a lot. So if I was playing like three times a week for years only playing functional house techno records to make people happy then I would be a bit bored I'm still for, for sure sometimes playing tracks like this because also I like that the, the groove and how to make people dance and it's definitely something I, I, I enjoy it but I really also like to okay excite the brain I mean I'd, I'd read that you've recently been playing maybe up to 100 gigs per year is this still the case yeah yeah and do you have to um i mean does it vary quite a lot in how far you can take an audience with the diversity of your music also i think we can play diverse music only when we play long time that's also there are a few clubs where you can do this like uh, um panorama bar for sure in berlin or trau in amsterdam or i hope the new club we're gonna open name le sucre um but most of the time you play one hour, 30 minutes and two hours. And in this case, for me, it's also tough to play diverse things because I did, sometimes I do it, but I find it's difficult also because people can think, okay, he doesn't know how to play one style, so he play many styles, you know? It's a bit like this when you play just for a while, like a really short set, it's tough to do it. So then you become a bit more in uh, classical, I would say. Um, but yes, I remember like last time I played uh, Hans Zimmer tune like in Panorama Bar it was magical uh, really like people was like uh, freaking out or like at Trau when I played last weekend the Benga Benga it was also fantastic mm. I like this kind of moment I mean it's it's what you remember if you play like um, a measure uh, it of a techno house or like uh, something which is not a hit but like really effective then you know what you're gonna have you know you know the answer you know the, the feedback so it's it's really good moment you're happy to see everybody happy but then it's not the same mystical thing that when you play something that's not supposed to work and you see everybody 
amazed that I like that. I mean, what what are you trying to achieve with your DJing? Do you think? I mean, you talked earlier about um, Stefanovic as being someone who put people in a trance. I, I could ne- I could never be that's, as good that's as not Stefanovic. your style. I won't be. I could. You know, I I think Stefanovic is he was really gifted by something like it was easy for him to play like records, like doing two or three hours and never miss anything mm. and keep the flow and the groove perfectly. It was not at all in this kind of diversity thing because it was much more in this um, lost in the repetitive uh, um, process. But also it's something really fantastic, but I'm not like this, it's not me. Uh, I love to go in a party and see DJ doing this because I couldn't do it because after a while I get bored myself mm. doing this. So when other DJs can do it, I'm like, wow, fantastic. I'm a big so fan of this. What are you trying to achieve? What's the, what do you want people to, how do you want people to react to what you're doing? I don't know. I just want them like to have fun, of course, but then, then to have a big smile when, when they see, oh, wow, he took this risk and that's cool, it worked, or sometimes it doesn't work. But I mean, it, it's like this, but yeah. I, I'm not, I couldn't do like five hours DJ set just flat. Yeah, sure. That's something I can't do it. But when it works, when a DJ do this and, and also it doesn't lose the, the, the audience and the audience is into anywhere during all these hours with this, I don't know you say, entre guillemets, but with this like, uh, um, it sounds really flat. I'm like, wow, mm. great. Your style of DJing on the diversity tip um, seems to have lent itself really, really nicely to the mixed CD compilation format. Is that something or like a challenge that you've enjoyed, do you feel? It's, it's the same, I guess. Like I did the, my first mix, it was Cute and Cult, I think. And I did it only with vinyl and mixing like um, uh, doing hours and hours and hours and, and weeks. The same mix to get the perfect mix. I mean, really, really like hours. I don't know how many times I did this mix, but I didn't want to use any computer. And then that was done so i wanted to do something different and so i, I did the other controls and the balance mix it and the fabric one those three mixing a lot of different sources that would have wouldn't have been possible just with two or three of three of three vinyls and so yeah for sure i also think like when you do mix city if it's just to do like what you can hear in a party then you have so many podcasts or you have so many a way to listen to it there's no use to do this it has to be something more like personal and so i always try to add like tunes uh again that are not supposed to match like uh, and for me it works for for all these compilations maybe for some people it could be like this one oh no this one was the 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 it really built up and then they, it it cut it a bit too much at that time or i don't know but for me it's like uh, also like uh, uh, when we, we are the build up, what we should have like the explosion, why we shouldn't frustrate maybe a bit more before we we again build it up. I mean, and I like this kind of um, of experience, and and the mix it is I, lo- I love this this format. How does the process work for you? Where do you start with something with a project like this? I never, for example, now I don't have any project of mix it, but I'm every week I'm putting in a folder new music that I have or receive or that I listen to, even if they are not new, but that I just discovered in this folder, like for the future, because like I say, oh, this one could be relevant with this other record. And so I like organizing things like for the future like this. And um, every time it took me a lot of time to 
to um, to select it, to select the music. I think the the balance one has been the most uh, uh, challenging for me. And uh, last year started a new audio visual project called Forms. Is that right? Yeah, correct. Yeah, yeah that's correct. Um, I wonder if you could um, talk a little bit about that and um, what the kind of concept and feeling behind it was. I think like the last decade was like um, a period where as a artist we we mix all kind of different uh, uh, music from jazz to hip hop uh, to indie rock. Every artist like try to cross all the the influences and the the technicals helped on this. What was not possible twenty years ago was easy the last decade. And I think for this decade actually. It's like um, a new challenge, in a way, um, is mixing all kind of arts. So what I try to do with forms is like to mix um, architecture with like visuals and 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 music. So it's like I have a, like a, a structure in front of me where we map videos and a big screen before behind me, and I'm like totally immersed in, in this kind of. Uh, of uh, of like uh, I don't know how you say like uh, a show, mm. so this decade is the moment to where we can like mix all these kind of arts, and um, because it's like also it costs less money than it was before, and I think it's really interesting to to work with other kind of people, um, and 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 share like our ideas, and so I remember like last summer I played like many festival like. Um, Duor or Benicassi, more rock and scene, like more indie festivals. And I don't want to educate all the people like to, te to techno or to electronic music. But when you play after Oasis, I mean, it's sometimes tough to make people, um, uh, to get the attention of the people who are like listening during uh, one hour and singing like all this, the big hit of Oasis and then you are like, in, in backstage saying what are you gonna do after that you know like listening 20,000 people singing to Aziz and then you have to come after this wow with techno music good luck <laughs> how did it go then <laughs> and so yeah not too bad actually I think it was cool but because of this project forms it has been easier if I was just alone on stage with my like uh, turntables playing techno Detroit or Chicago house or it would have been a disaster. But because like I had this project and they have something to see different of just like a DJ behind uh, three um, turntables trying to mix them. It was like uh, they don't have to overthink about what they were listening. I'm not into the fact of emancipating the, the world audience of music to techno music, but I like to be uh, into a new challenge and I like to be challenged most of the time because like after all this time DJing and making music it's good to find new challenge and, and this one is one of these. <laughs>